Well, that's Good Friday. We're on this series. We, for those of you who are visiting and are not here all the time, we're on this series called Listen, Learn, and Live for the Father. We're almost coming to the end, but it actually fits today's message really well. Way back, and I can't remember where it was and when it was, way back somewhere between 1970 and 73, I was given this form, this chart, and most of you, I hope you all got it when you were coming in, and it really was one of those life-changing moments in my life. We're not going to deal with it right now. We're going to deal with it later, but I, I, I've been looking for an opportunity to share this with you. I try to share this everywhere I go because it was so life-changing in my life, and I hope it might be in yours as well. And it actually fits Good Friday really, really well. It is Good Friday, folks, and just before Good Friday, Jesus has the Last Supper with his disciples. This is one of the most famous paintings in the world. It's called The Greatest Masterpiece of the Renaissance, and it's Jesus having a good supper with his, with his disciples. Also at that good supper, after they'd partaken of the bread and the, and the juices and wine, as we did today, they, there was also a moment when Jesus revealed that he was going to be betrayed. And then following that, Jesus goes to a garden in Gethsemane, or called Gethsemane, where he takes some disciples with him, Peter, James, and John, and he, he goes there to pray. And so we pick up the story, just one verse only out of three of the Gospels. So in Matthew it says, he went away a second, well, we'll come back to that. He prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. In Mark it says, going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, I love that. He said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And Luke puts it this way, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Let's pray for a moment. God, we thank you always for special moments, and Good Friday is one of those. We celebrate, as we heard today in the communion service, the simplicity of the cross, the simplicity of the gospel, that God loved a broken, sinful world and sent his son to fix the problem. Jesus, of course, is that son who's in the heart of this story today. May you reveal truth to us. May we open our hearts to your truth. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The funny thing is that Jesus, because he's the Son of God as well as the Son of Man, he knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew ahead of time. He just knew. So when he goes to the garden, it's just, it's just one of those moments in his life that he thinks, God, this is so bad. This is so bad. And in actual fact, one of the scripture verses around this moment in the garden says that he was in anguish, anguish to the point of death. And if you actually go back up and look at the root word for anguish, it actually spells the word horror. That's how bad it was. It was just, he was facing just beyond anything we can imagine. Was it bad? Yes, it was worse than we could imagine. And all kinds of people have speculated why it was so bad for Jesus. Here are some of the speculations. Was it because Judas was about to betray him? No. Why is it because his followers were going to deny him? All of these happened, by the way. The answer is no. Was it that the Sanhedrin would condemn him? No. Was it that Pilate would sentence him? No. Was it that his enemies would ridicule him? No. Uh, we might be in trouble here, Bobby. Next slide. There we go. Was it that the soldiers would crucify him? No. 
Was it the isolation he felt in his soul? No. Was it the physical torment he endured before and during his crucifixion? And the answer is no. Was it hard on him? Was it bad? Uh, Could you fix this for me if you can? Next slide, please. Was it hard for him? Listen, it's beyond our comprehension. It is, it is so bad, and the reason it was bad is because he was dying to take away the sins of the world. The, the, he took all of his judgment, all the judgment was put on us, on him, for us. That's why it happened. That's how it happened. That God laid on him the iniquity of us, of us all. He poured on him your sins and on mine. Have, have, you ever, have, you, have you ever thought about this, how serious this is? At the end of 2023, there will be 8 billion people in the world. Does that make you feel small? It makes me feel small. I can't even count 8 billion I actually looked it up how long it would take to count to a million. I think it was 13 years. And if you counted every second, never slept, never ate, I think it was 31 years to count to a billion. There's 8 billion people in the world. Is there anyone here who's never sinned? Well, how many sins do you have? One today? Ten? Five? Twenty? How many in a lifetime? Eight billion of those people not counting all the people that have already died, and not counting all the people that are still coming. Think about it. The Lord lays on him our sin. That's a lot of sin, folks. That's a lot of judgment. And God pours out his wrath on Jesus. No wonder he didn't want to do it. No wonder he said, oh God, I I know what's coming. This is hard. This is harder than we can imagine. This is beyond comprehension. He knew that he was being made sin for us, he knew. And folks, listen, with all of the sins of the world, there's still a few of yours and mine, right? We still have to deal with the ones you committed, the ones I commit. And God poured out his wrath on Christ just for you and just for me. That's how it works, the, the sins that are ours. It, it's almost as if Jesus said this, It's almost as Jesus said, take that person's sin and put the judgment of their guilt on me. Was it hard for him? Beyond our understanding. Beyond our understanding. Listen, it's beyond our comprehension. It's so bad that Jesus prayed over this three times. He went to the, he took Peter, James, and John. He goes and says, will you pray with me? He goes away and prays at least an hour, at least an hour. He goes back and they're asleep and he wakes them up and says, could you not pray with me? He goes back and prays at least an hour. He goes and they're still sleeping again. He goes back and says, could you not pray with me? He prays a third time. At least three hours in prayer, we think that's how hard it was. And the prayer was, is there any other way? (laughs) Oh, God, you know what's coming. You know what's coming. It it, it was so bad that the Bible says in Luke that he sweat, and the sweat was so intense, it was like drops of blood falling from his body. It was so intense that the angel was sent from God to minister to him. And Jesus knew it was coming. Folks, we can't even even get a taste of the agony. We, We can't even understand it. You know, have you ever thought, have you ever thought of this? I wonder if there would have been any other way. Like, God, is there any other way we could have been redeemed? Is there any other way we could have a relationship with you without Jesus going through all of that? Is there any other way? 
That's what Jesus asked. And there is no other way. I love how Brandon Manning put it in this book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. God saved us because he loved us. But he is God. He has infinite imagination. Couldn't he have saved us with a smile, a pang of hunger, a word of forgiveness, a single drop of blood? And if he had to die, then for God's sake, for Christ's sake, couldn't he die in bed, die with dignity? Why was he condemned like a criminal? Why was his back flayed with whips? Why was his head crowned with thorns? Why was he nailed to wood and allowed to die in frightful, lonely agony? Why was the last breath drawn in bloody disgrace while the world for which he lay dying egged on his executioners with savage fury like some kind of gang raped by uncivilized brutes in Central Park. Why do they have to take the very best? One thing we do know, we don't comprehend the love of Jesus Christ. Ragamuffin gospel. That's what we are, folks. We're ragamuffins. The gospel was given for us. And in all of that, the truth is there was, no other, there was no other way. And we find that in Isaiah, Isaiah 53. And I want to read a long passage to you today because it tells this whole story of, of this agony that he's in. Isaiah 53 says this. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Have you ever wondered what Jesus looked like? Have you ever wondered that? Most of us picture him tall, dark, and handsome. Probably some of you who are here regularly have already noticed I got a haircut this week. Back when I was a kid, they used to sort of shave all my head off at the end of June so it would be good for the summer. I went to a barber that does not speak English. Oh, yeah. This was medium. Just thought I'd mention that in passing. There was no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took off our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. You read it? Will you read it with me? And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Would you read it one more time with me? And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who was generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. 
for the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will. I can't read the bottom, sorry. Better go to my notes. After... After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servants will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Was there any other way? No. No, there's no other way. Could we pause for a moment and pray? God, we want to just pause for a moment and say thank you. So many times we forget, especially those of us who follow you, how deeply our sin, our sin affected the kingdom and us. And God, we pause for a moment knowing how awful this was going to be. How Jesus said, God, is there, is there any other way? Is, he knew that the wrath of God, the iniquity of us all, was going to be poured out on him. God, in the middle of this Good Friday service today, we just want to pause for a moment and say thank you. We want to say thank you, Lord. Our hearts cry out to you in gratefulness. Amen. And then this is the great moment of the Good Friday story. It's called acceptance. <laughs> Look what he says. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Hmm. Changed everything. The Bible tells us that after he prayed that prayer, he went back and got the disciples, and they headed outside of the garden, and Judas met him there where he was appointed out to the Pharisees. This is the one. This is the one. You know the story. Peter gets upset, cuts off somebody's ear. Jesus heals it, and they arrest him, and Judas has identified him, and he goes off. But, but hear, hear my heart. This is, no longer, this is no longer a moment where he's shedding tears like blood. This is no longer a moment of anguish. This is now a moment of triumph. Jesus marches to the cross in triumph. Yes, I know, I know. I know he hasn't been beaten yet. I know he hasn't got a crown of thorns yet. I know he hasn't had his back flayed yet. I know that. I, I know that. He's, I know he got so weary physically he couldn't carry his own cross. He had to get, they had to get somebody else to carry I know that. They had to get somebody else to carry it for him. I know. But it doesn't change the fact that in spite of the physical agony that he was going through and still going to go through, he marched towards the cross in triumph. And he hangs on that cross in triumph, folks. He hangs on that cross and prays for a broken world before then, at that time, after him, and still ahead of us yet. And he says, Father, forgive them. He hangs on that broken cross and turns to a thief and said, today you will be with me in paradise. He hangs on a broken cross and says to John, listen, your mother's standing beside you. She's grieving. Don't let her grieve any more than she has to. Take her into your home. Become her son. And to Mary, this is your new son. He'll look after you. It's on that cross. It's on that cross. With the weight of sin in him, he feels the absence of the Father's presence. And he declares, God, why have you forsaken me? It's on that cross. It's so disastrous to him. It's so painful to him. He says, I thirst. 
It's on that cross, he declares, it is finished. <laughs> the plan of God is done. Everything is done that could ever be done. It is finished. And the Bible says that no one took his life. And Jesus breathed his last, and he said, Father, I am yours. Into your hands I commit my spirit. It was Abba Father in the garden, and it's Abba Father in the cross. And he died. But he died triumphantly. I, I love how Chambers put it. He said, when Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross, it was not the blood of a martyr or the blood of one man for another. It was the life of God poured out to redeem the world. And many years ago when I was studying at my master's level, I remember this prof I had really loved God with all his heart, and he described the cross in words I've never heard before or since. Let me share them with you today. Here's what he said on the cross. Love was crucified for sin. Wow. I don't know if that impresses you, but that's eaten at my soul in a wonderful way for years. There was no other way. And Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. That's the message of Good Friday. Is that not good news? Is that not good news? The funny thing is, when I was given this little chart, in that chart is the same message. The same call for us as it was for Jesus. The same call, not my will, but yours be done. And Peter comes along and explains to us the gospel in a different way, in a way that I don't know that we understand all the time. Here's what he says. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who was called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Did you read that? This is an offer to us to participate in the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Sin is eradicated in your life. It's forgiven. It's gone. There's no penalty. God paid it all through Jesus on the cross. For this very reason, this is the important part here now, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measures, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That sounds like a bit of a plan to me. Do you want to take your chart out? In each of these words, by the way, there's eight steps to Christian maturity. Eight steps. Every one of them is based on a biblical principle. Every one of them is built one upon the other, so that when you talk about faith, virtue is added to faith, and then knowledge is added to virtue and faith, and self-control is added to knowledge and virtue and faith. Do you see that? These are steps, one built upon the other. And Peter says to us, this is the path of perfection for the believer. Now, I, I know that we're not going to be perfect. We'll come to that in, in a minute. 
But what it does is it makes us followers of God. It takes us from being believers and makes us true followers. And what Peter says, what the writer here, this little chart says, it actually makes us true star witnesses, and we come to the place of maturity. And hear me, folks, God is not expecting perfection from us. What he is expecting is effort. And when we do the effort, when we add to, this is we're supposed to do this, we add to our faith virtue, we add to our virtue knowledge, we add to the knowledge self-discipline, self-control. We do that, and when we do that, God shows up by his spirit and the power of God that will raise Jesus from the dead, and he touches our lives and he transforms us so we are made in the image of his son. That is the greatest gift God can give us, folks. Don't you love being a believer? I love being a believer. I love having a Bible to read. I love having prayers to pray. I love when God touches me. I love good worship. But God has a purpose in all of that. The purpose isn't just so we can have a good time and go to heaven. The purpose is transformation in our lives so we can become like his son and our lives matter and make a difference in the kingdom. That's the purpose. Not just so we go to heaven. It's actually so we take a few others with us. So Peter starts with faith. And every one of these is added to something else. You see, so so when you get faith, which is down here, that already comes with repentance. Repentance and faith go together. So you believe, and the minute you believe, you realize you're a sinner, and you realize that sin has robbed you from God's best, and so you confess your sin. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so faith is what saves you. Faith is what gives you an entrance into the kingdom. Faith is what makes you his. And then we add to our faith virtue. Well, you know what virtue is. Virtue is a sense of goodness. It's, a, it's an understanding of goodness. And, and so virtue is actually tied always to separation. And so when we get saved, do you, remember, do you remember when you first got saved? Do you remember what God took out of your life? Do you remember that? Some of you don't remember. I tell you what I lost was anger. I can't tell you why I was angry. I just knew I was an angry teenager. At 18, I was angry at the world. I was angry at my family. I was angry at everything. I was just angry all the time. And I remember having coming to Jesus and God pouring his love in my heart. And instantly the anger said, there was no, the anger disappeared. The anger left. And there was an instant separation from my sin and a, a hunger for God. And so the separation comes right out of that and is part of that. And virtue entered in. Godliness enters in. It's amazing when you become a child of God. And then we add to our virtue, we add knowledge. It isn't very long until you come to this understanding, wow, God has saved me. God has redeemed me. I am now his child. And so you, you want to know more. You, you begin to hunger. I remember, I remember coming to faith at 18, and somebody said you should read the Gospel of John. I went home that night about 10, and I remember the next day I said, what do I read next? doesn't take that long to read John, but I'm still reading John at 2 in the morning. The Bible came alive. It was so amazing. The hunger for God was so real. But you add to the knowledge, you have this dedication, this, this, this surrender to God. Because the more you know, the more amazing God is to you. Remember that? It's amazing. And you say, oh God, I want to serve you. I want you to have my life. And, and knowledge always expands our capacity. Truth always sets us free. 
We have this great understanding of God in a new way. There's still so much to learn. I'm 77 and still don't know hardly anything. We get a taste of God. And, and out of that, we, we, we come to the next one, which is self-control or discipline. Self-control really, really happens, you see, because when you have self-control, then we have this, I can't even read the note up there. What does it say? Oh, perfect. That's it. That's where it goes. Perfect. That's, I'm glad it's there because that's what happens. So, so, here's, so here's what happens. You see, all of a sudden, self-control, you see, you know what? I'm going to be disciplined about reading the Word. I'm going to be disciplined about going to church. I'm going to be disciplined about worship. I'm going to be disciplined about prayer. And the minute we do that, we realize, wow, look at all the people that have poured into me. Look at all the people that have helped me. Let them all the, I want to help others. And so this is where we really first start to serve. This is where we start to pour out our life and say, God, here am I. Why don't you use me? God, I want to be used of you. I don't want to just be a spectator. I want to grow. I don't want to get fat in the word and thin in service. And you start serving. And God takes us at our word. And he leads us to the next step. This is the watershed moment. This is where everything changes. This is the truth that so speaks to my heart. It's when the stages get tested. You see, the only way we can learn to endure is through suffering and trials. It's the only way. You, you, you don't, it's hilarious, you don't, you don't persevere, folks. You don't persevere. Words are endurance, patience, um, Abba Father's here the way, God, I really like this. Uh, you, you don't persevere, you don't endure unless you have something to endure. I'm trying to get this to go backwards. I'm not doing very well today, am I? You, you, don't, you don't learn perseverance unless there's some reason to persevere. We, we don't, it's, you don't learn endurance unless you endure. So here's what I've discovered. Uh, let me get to the, let me move ahead a little bit here. Let me get through this. I want to get back to my chart, and I don't have it where I want it. I'm so sorry. I'm so good at these, and then I miss this. Here we go. There's a sort of a dotted line here. So here's what that means. You and I can come up to this moment, and we bump against trials and tribulations, and we back off. And we say, God, I don't really want that. Or we bump against something we have to endure. We say, God, I don't really like that, so we back off. And God lets us back off, friends. God will let us back off over and over and over again. And we say with Jesus, is there any other way? And we have to say, no, Jesus, not my will, but with Jesus, we have to say, not my will, but yours be done. The captain of our salvation was made perfect through suffering. Why would we think it would be any different to us? And I love how C.S. Lewis says it. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And when we get there, when we get there, it changes us forever. 
Have you ever met a really godly person? Like really godly? Really godly? Can I say this to you? I've never met one that didn't pay the price to get there. One of my mentors was one of the most godly people I've ever met. I mentioned him before, Gibb, and I was so glad when I got to pastor him, I'd become godlier than I was before and more godly. I was closer to him. But he didn't stop being godly. He got more godly than me. Still. I had a lady in one church where I pastored. I could tell if I could walk into the service with my eyes closed. And I could tell if she was in the church or not because the atmosphere of God that was there. I, I don't know how to describe it to you. I could just I just knew. I just knew. She was so godly. I remember hearing her story of her battling asthma her whole life. And it finally took her life in her 50s. Saints are made, folks, not born. Remember my first church in Montreal? I had a lady in my church named Mrs. Marshall. She called me one morning at 9. And she said, Pastor, I just want you to know you're going to have a great day today. I said, how do you know that? She said, because God woke me up at five, and I've been praying for you ever since. I can do the math, five to nine. That's four hours. I said, you know, I think you're right. I'm going to have a good day today. She went away off home to Barbados and began to pray for her pastor there. Can I tell you, I felt the difference. But if you knew her story, the story of loss of a husband and heartache, and brokenness. And in the brokenness, she turned to God. In the brokenness, she turned to God. In the brokenness, she found the comfort of God was there. Because you see, godliness only really happens when we pass through the veil of suffering and trials. It doesn't happen any other way. And all of a sudden, we move into godliness and we have this proper response now. It changes how we behave. All of a sudden, something happens to us, and we don't say, why me? We say, why not me? What makes me so special that I could never have a problem? What makes me so special I could never have a trial? What makes me so special I could never be ill? What makes me so special I could never suffer? What ma- Nothing. The difference is, as a child of God, we don't go it alone. The difference is, as we're going through trials, we become more and more like our Savior, the captain of our salvation. Jesus sat there and said, is there any other way? I wish I could tell you there was another way. There, there, is, there is no other way. We don't say, why me anymore? We say, why not me? Part of the problem is that we just struggle with all of this because we think God wants to give us good and he wants to actually give us likeness. We, we, think, we think that God wants to give us comfort and he actually wants to give us ministry. We, we, think, we think that God wants to give us joy now and he's actually, God wants to do that, but he wants to prepare us for then. And that transforms us. All of a sudden, we have kindness in our hearts. Kindness that transforms us, changes us from what we are to what we could be. We learn sensitivity to the plight of others. You just, all of a sudden, you are touched with the feeling of their infirmities, like Jesus is with ours. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in this place up there, right there, where people are coming to us for counsel. 
and care and love and affection and teaching and ministry and mentoring. And then love invades us. Love invades us, and for the first time in our lives, we are capable, anxious for spiritual reproduction. Because we first time in our lives, we truly love the unlovely. We truly care for those that are broken, because it's not about us anymore. I, I need to say this to you folks. Before you came to Jesus, the gospel was entirely about you. But the moment you became a believer, the gospel is entirely about other people. And believers don't win a lot of people. But followers do. Followers step into the lives of others and their lives are transformed because God wants them to be followers. That's his plan. That's his purpose. Here's what had happened in Hebrews. But we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone and bringing many sons and daughters to glory. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should, be, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Jesus learned to endure, and we must as well. I want to be your son, God. I want to be your daughter. Friends, I, I don't know if this will mean anything to you today. You may walk out here and say, well, that's one of the worst Good Friday services I've ever been in. I don't know why they had him as the interim. All I can tell you is this transformed my life. I'm just a young upstart, 27, 28 years old, and since 1972. And somebody handed me this chart, and I realized that I could bump against persecution a lot, and God would let me back off. But if I would surrender, if I would surrender, and if I would say with Jesus on that Good Friday day, God, not my will, but yours be done, I could move beyond ordinary Christianity to godliness to likeness to Jesus. I could move beyond that to sympathy and empathy for others. I could move beyond that so love actually worked in my heart and through my heart to other people. And I need to say to you that I don't do it well all the time now and every once in a while, I don't know why, I need a refresher course. But there have been those moments when God allowed me to step into somebody's life Way back in, oh, how am I doing time-wise? Way back in 1968, I guess I learned this even before then, I went to teach in a school, and my principal was not a believer in a church, but not a believer. And God allowed me to help her find faith in Jesus. And then she had a sister who got filled with the Spirit. She said, do you want any Pentecostals with people to speak in tongues? And she got filled with the Spirit. And a Catholic nun 
shared faith with me in how God had transformed her life. She knew all about Jesus, and now she knew Jesus. Can I tell you that since this chart has shown me what it works, it's only multiplied, it's only got bigger, it's only... I don't know how to say this. I'm not doing it well at all. I just want you to hear my heart. If you really want to be a son, if you really want to be a daughter, we need to say, God, I missed it again. I'm not really dedicated. I'm not really fully surrendered. I'm not, but I want to be. And I want to say like Jesus did on that day, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And if we say it in our and mean it, he'll take us at our word and he'll transform us. You may be in suffering and trials now. I only know this. The next time you come to there, you're not going to say, God, why me? You're not going to say, God, I don't want to do this. I can't do this. You're going to say, God, would you pour out your spirit into my heart? Would you help me live triumphantly? Would you help me live victoriously through this? I surrender my life to you. And God will take you through that moment. And he'll stamp the image of his son in your life. Would you close your eyes for a minute? Would you say it with me? Father, not my will, but yours be done. Would you say it with me again? Father, not my will, but yours be done. Let's stand and say it one more time. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Let's sing about it.